Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Because it's time. It's, it's time for reparation. The only thing I have in common with this character is that she's black. This does not look like me or sound like I'm me. I'm sick of being a side Indian character. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism. How are you supposed to feel that exploitation is the best you can LGBTIQ get? LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here. Black queers, we will always be here. This is Amir Rahman. I'm Francesca Ramsey. I'm Gary Foley. And you're listening to The Race Card. I'm your host for this afternoon's show, and before we begin, we'll be doing an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet, and we pay respects to their elders both past and present. This land was never ceded in the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, and genocide that began over two centuries ago, continue to this day. And with me in the studio right now, Eugenia Flynn. Thank you for coming on the show, Eugenia. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, it's good to finally get you on the race card. We've been talking about this for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really happy to be here and have been kind of following what's happening with the race card and um, yeah, really, really excited to be here and to be involved. Yeah. I guess um, to to give our listeners a bit of a, I guess, bio or intro into who yeah. you are, you've, um, you've, you've done a number of projects, uh, projects you're a writer, producer, arts manager, as well as a number of other things, uh, you've, I think, helped cur- uh, curate an art exhibition. Yeah, um, that's ha- right. Hosted a discussion with um, Alicia Shabazz yeah. and, and a few other things. What are you doing at the moment? Um, well, aside from my kind of full-time job, um, I'm working on a couple of things. I support RISE. I see you wearing the T-shirt today, refugee survivors and ex-detainees. So um, as a non a refugee, non-asylum seeker, I take a support role in any way that I can with RISE. So just doing um, kind of that support stuff with them at the moment and also working with Amar Rahman, who I know you've had on the show before. So working with him, um, we have um, a discussion, a conversation that's going to happen next week on Friday night with um, Akala who is an amazing artist that's come across from the UK. So that's pretty exciting and we're just going to be doing more stuff like that into the future, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's very exciting, especially with the Ilya Shabazz conversation that you hosted, mm. the Corner West dis- uh, discussions that Ama hosted. Yeah. And then now Akala. So uh, I think everyone is, is hoping to hear more discussions, yeah. whether it be race, whether it be identity and all those kinds of things. And Yeah, I think it's good to have those discussions being led by people of colour. And that's the really exciting thing for me. You know, um, I know a guy, um, a friend of mine who's African-American, he's come across here and been living here for years. And he was saying to me, like, 
he saw, this is really random, but he saw an interview with Exhibit, the rapper. He'd come on a tour of Australia and he saw an interview of him on TV and he was just like, we need to have non-white people interviewing artists of colour that come across to Australia because it's just embarrassing. They don't know what they're talking about. They never know any context. Um, And they always try to relate to them in a really awkward kind of cringeworthy fashion. So for me, I think it's really important to have that, especially for me as a woman, a woman of colour, an Aboriginal woman, an Asian woman. It's really important for me to to be in the forefront. Um, Having those conversations can be really difficult, I think, because we're always told to kind of um, stay back, to be quiet, to be demure, um, those kinds of things. So for me, it's really important to push myself to, to do more public stuff um, and to encourage other, particularly women of colour, to, to come to the front. People of colour in general, yes, um, but also really specifically women of colour as well. Definitely. And I think you're, you're, you're doing a lot of things and what I found really interesting is talking about those aspects of identity that you have and and I guess the question I have is how do you navigate identity with a complex identity story and and how do you try to I guess give give enough like it's it's hard juggling all these identities and how do you manage to I feel I guess feel sufficiently giving enough attention to every single one yeah um I guess I- Uh, You know, I talk about this a bit. I grew up um, with parents that were just really, really centred. So it was never any, there was never any question about our identity or, uh, you know, I've got three older sisters. We were never raised to think that we were odd or strange or, you know, it wasn't until we had interactions with other people and they'd be like, wow, you know, or make little comments like that, you know, like my sister had an experience at a party where someone asked her 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 cultural background and and when she told them she was Chinese and Aboriginal, um, they were like, that must have really fucked you up as a kid. And she just walked away. She was just like, that is ridiculous. Um, And I know that for some people it is a struggle, but for us it definitely wasn't a struggle. I think because our parents were just really like, at the same time just really Chinese and really Aboriginal and we had access to our culture and we were um, grew up in our culture and that just made things easier for us. Yeah. I guess a lot of people when they talk about being biracial, mixed race, a lot of the time they're talking about X person, I would say X or black and brown person with a white person. Instead of yes. saying, say for example, your 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 um, case, indigenous person with uh, a, a Chinese person. Yeah, I, I find that that's really common. That um, quite often people only think about multiculturalism, or you know, when people make those really dumb comments about, oh, if only we had more mixed race babies, then there'd be no more racism, which is just false, first and foremost, and second of all. Um, I find that quite often they just mean, you know, a a non-white race with with white. And I guess, you know, in Australia, I think a lot of people want to believe that multiculturalism only started in, what, the 60s and 70s because of new waves of migration and we had the multicultural 
policies that were put in place by the federal government. So it's kind of this mindset that people have that multiculturalism started then. But if you look at Australian history, um, you know, my dad um, was Aboriginal, but there was also Chinese, Filipino, Sri Lankan and Scottish all mixed in there as well. And ha- having those mixed race families um, was really common in the 1800s, early 1900s was really common and for us coming from the Northern Territory in the top end, um, because it is so close to Asia, you'll find most Aboriginal people have some kind of Asian background as well. Lots of family names with um, Chinese, Filipino, Indonesian, Malay, kind of all in there. So that's really, I guess for us, we had that cultural lineage. So we knew that we weren't the only ones. I mean, we grew up in Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide because my parents moved down from Darwin. So that was a bit tough in terms of um, it, it was unusual in Adelaide to see that kind of a mix. But I would always say to people, if you came up to Darwin, that's all you would see is Aboriginal people with Asian eyes or, you know, all that kind of stuff that's that's kind of just really, really common in the top end of Australia. So Northern WA, Northern top end of um, Northern Territory and Northern Queensland. It's really, really common. And if you go to outback Australia, it is so common to see mixed race families, you know, Aboriginal, Afghan. Um, you know, I went to Sejuno, that's where my husband's from for the first time. And I met a Bosnian family that have been there for three generations like Bosnian Muslims. And, you know, I think that people forget about that quite easily because of the way that history has been written and constructed in this country. Then I guess, do you think the way we view, I guess, biracial identities uh, and multicultural in a sense is very, like you said, new age? Yeah, definitely. I I found kind of this year in particular, it exploded online like there was a – a visual artist who did a photography exhibition of biracial mixed race families with biracial children. And, um, you know, people were kind of putting it up as this oddity, like, oh, wow, look at this. And this is the future. So there's this really big thing about mixed race people being the future. And my thing is just like, well, we've been around forever in a day. Um, and, but I think that, yeah, it's definitely becoming this kind of um, thing about how mixed race people are so beautiful and um, a real sexualization of mixed race people, definitely. Um, you know, mixed race women are very exotic, the men are very handsome, um, all of those sorts of things, um, which, you know, of course we are. But um, it's this real exotification of mixed race people and I find that that's becoming you know, this kind of thing about uh, they're really exotic and beautiful and all that sort of stuff. And then also um, that, you know, this is the way the future and it's going to eradicate racism somehow. And, you know, I've seen someone online say, um, oh, well, one day we'll all be brown, so then we won't have any racism. And I was like, I don't think that's true. (laughs) It's not that simple, is it? No, definitely not. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, in any um, relationship with people from different cultures, there's going to be, 
issues and, you know, just because you can love and marry someone from another race doesn't mean that you aren't going to be racist towards their people. I think we see that a lot. Yeah, no, it's like, and I think people always, ultimately always see racism through this kind of this black and white binary and like a lot of I'm Somali and the way Somali people talk about Asian people they literally call them indayer which means and translates as small eyes yeah so these so I guess the idea that um there there isn't literal violence there isn't issues amongst people who uh, you can say say people of color but even that is you know it's it's a it's a politicized identity in its own right um, but what I want to ask and talk about more is, I guess, becoming Muslim yeah. and uh, how how that happened and, and I guess how your family um, took to that. Yeah. Um, so I converted to Islam um, hmm, 13, 14 years ago. It'll be 14 years soon. So I was pretty young at the time. I was 19 and um, it was just something that I'd been introduced to over many, many years in a um, kind of osmosis kind of a way and decided that I wanted to do. So it was a very, like a profoundly spiritual experience for me, which was really important. Um, And I mean, it it was, um, it wasn't easy to begin with. I think my family were like, why would you want to do this? And it was... It was not even a year after September 11. So I had wanted to do it for a long time. September 11 happened and I was like, hmm, and kind of put it out of my head. And then I was like, maybe I should just do this. So it was a very short time. Like, I don't think it was even six months after September 11. Um, And so I think my family were just like, why would you want to do this? And especially, um, you know, because we get fed all of the stuff by we, I mean, in the West, Western communities, um, get fed all of the stuff about Islam being oppressive towards women and all of that sort of stuff. And so it took them a while while to realise that I was still going to be the same Eugenia that they always knew. So I think once they felt comfortable with that, that was fine. I think my mum struggled being Chinese Malaysian and being around during a lot of the the tension during um, a lot of the, I guess, you know, the stuff that was going on in Malaysia between Malays and Chinese. So, and she felt that was a religious issue. Um, she was raised as a Buddhist and, um, and you know, there were tensions between Malay Muslims and Chinese in the 60s and she was around for that. And, you know, um, I think she struggled with it the most probably in that regard, I think. Um, and she eventually became okay with it. But, yeah, yeah, it wasn't entirely easy but it wasn't difficult either because a lot of the time when people think of i guess muslim converts they usually think and they usually associate to whiteness i guess and a lot of the time muslim communities will be more open to to white people converting to islam and and be like oh come into our mosque come into us and and let's let's show you the the truth let's show you the message how are you treated by i guess 
Muslim communities when when you I guess first saw I'm Muslim can I join your community and your mosque or what have you yeah um look it was a it was a couple of different things it, it was tough it was definitely tough as an Aboriginal convert I think because um uh how do I put this um I think because a lot of the Muslim people I was mixing with you know Islam because of it being a religion just has some really basic middle class values and I know that sounds really strange because not all Muslims would consider themselves middle class but you know things about family and togetherness and um, all of that sort of stuff and maybe it was just the people I was mixing with but there were times when I felt really alienated and there are just some things about well, that were common in my experience of being Aboriginal, um, that I felt other people would never be able to understand or relate to um, those kinds of things. Like, for example, health concerns, um, you know, chronic health disease. You know, I've lost both of my parents now at quite a young age and just all of those sorts of things. So, you know... A little bit of that. I think there was also, you know, there were some people that were just really racist um, when I, you know, first encountered them. There were, you know, lots and lots of really racist Aboriginal people, um, you know, talking about petrol sniffing and making fun of Aboriginal people as though we were animals, you know, the usual black people are um, primates kind of really base level racism. Um, there was a lot of that sort of stuff and um, that was really difficult to deal with. I found that very shocking. And, um, you know, then you had people who wanted to treat you like you're a celebrity because you're Aboriginal and you're a Muslim. And I think that, you know, some of that still goes on. It's like it's like it gives Muslims street cred, you know, like... Um, we can attract these people to our religion and, you know, white Christian Australia can't. And I think the, the you know, the stuff with the McCussins is always brought up as this example of, look, Muslims, we're better than white Australians because we're able, we were able to trade with um, Aboriginal people for years and years before white people came here. So there's kind of this really weird mix of celebrity that goes along with it or, objectification in a way and that really turned me off as well I was like I don't want to be seen as an object um and I'm not like a prize to be won that's kind of what it felt like and um so that was really difficult but I I did eventually I kind of set about searching for other Aboriginal Muslims that was important to me to find them um so that I felt like I had a community that really helped yeah I've I've noticed in more recent times that there are a lot of Aboriginal Muslims, and I was I was surprised by that. Were you? Um, not necessarily. I think maybe some of it is. I mean, some of it is definitely um, converts like me, and I think some of it is. Well, I tend to think that maybe a fair bit of it is re-identification. So a lot of Aboriginal people who have Muslim heritage, who may be descendants from Afghan and Pakistani um, cameleers, who may be re-identifying or have always identified as Muslim. I think that there's a lot of that that's going on as well. Um, But yeah, I, I don't think I was 
surprised. I was probably pleased. I'm like, yay, more friends. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, Eugenia. You've been a pleasure. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me.